welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, Coordinator of Media. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at smith at epiok.org. before we get started y'all this year is our sixth annual bishop lecture series and we are featuring the reverend becca stevens becca is an author speaker social justice entrepreneur and priest she is the founder and president of thistle farms a movement dedicated to supporting women survivors of trafficking prostitution and addiction becca has been named a white house champion of change a 2016 CNN hero, and has been featured in the New York Times, on ABC World News, and NPR. Her newest book, Love Heals, was published by HarperCollins in September of 2017. Please help us spread the word about this incredible woman being in our diocese. She is a close friend of mine and a mentor, and I can tell you from experience, she is a force of great good in this world, and y'all will not want to miss hearing from her and learning from all the incredible women at Thistle Farms. They are truly incredible. All right, let's get into this week's episode featuring Bishop Jose. As many of you know and remember, Bishop Jose was the canon to the ordinary at our diocese for several years with Bishop Ed. Before he was elected to be the Bishop of Western North Carolina in 2016, I stopped by Bishop Jose's office on my way to the Wild Goose Festival last week and got a chance to sit down with him and catch up on what all he's been up to since he started his new post as Bishop. We have a delightful conversation. And I also took video of this interview, which you can find on our newsletter, our Facebook page, YouTube page, and on our website under the News tab under Announcements. Can't wait to share this one, y'all. Let's get right into it. Here is Bishop Jose McLaughlin. So, Bishop Jose, do you miss Oklahoma at all? I do, actually. Um, I just had this conversation with my uh, son. He's at Oklahoma State. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got oh, one cool. semester left. Um, um, he's graduating a semester early. Mm-hmm. So we'll actually be going back to Oklahoma in December as well for his graduation. I do. Um, actually, we were talking about the fact, not only do I miss going to the Thunder Games, because we mm-hmm. were still season ticket holders. Are you serious? We never sold them. Um, we still have them. So How messed tickets, up is, um, is our team right now, though? Oh, don't get me started. Like, we're all just, like, every time the ESPN app goes off on my phone, I'm like... I know. Where's Westbrook going? I'm having I'm having like stress syndrome because when <sighs> Wojnarowski, who's the big NBA reporter, sends a tweet, I get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all good in the end, but what we were talking about actually was the fact that um, miss going to the games, miss seeing my son. Obviously, he would have been mm-hmm. closer, but we moved him into campus three weeks before we moved here. 
Mm-hmm. So he was already going there on his way before the election year. But the thing I really miss, I mean, I do miss the people. I really miss working with Bishop Ed. We had a great partnership, mm-hmm. and he's someone that I deeply admire and mm-hmm. still a friend and someone who I care for very much and really is responsible for how I ended up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I miss the people because Oklahoma is a very unique, wonderful place. One of the things about I've been on the East Coast most of my life, but in Oklahoma they pretty much tell you how they feel. There's no dancing around anything. You know, sometimes the joke here is that Southern sort of approach is like, you're not really sure how people feel, and they smile at you, mm-hmm. say, bless your heart. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that nice? Um, but in Oklahoma, there was a genuineness to the people that I really liked. And mm-hmm. even, you know, the shock to the system when they tell you exactly what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really miss, I miss the people. They were really wonderful to us. It was one of the best places, actually, that we've lived as a family. It was really instrumental for us as a family, for me and my vocation, for my kids and their friendships. Um, so honestly, I do think about Oklahoma pretty much every day mm-hmm. and miss the people. But but at the same time, as I said to my son, I really believe I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So did you and Bishop Ed connect a lot because of your ba- both of your background in law enforcement? That was, that was one of the ways in which we kind of connected. I had met him at a gathering in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. when I was a priest in Miami, and he had just become bishop, not even a month. And uh, we really hit it off, and we were having a conversation, and one day he says, you want to go grab some lunch? We went off campus where we're staying in D.C., and we're never short for conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I think why we work so well together, and I've said to people, is because we kind of had the same understanding of how things work so in other words as a canon to the ordinary i knew the chain of command if you will Mm -hmm. i knew that it was his vision and his voice i was advancing not my own Mm -hmm. i knew the the greater good for what we were trying to do and coming from a law enforcement paramilitary background Mm -hmm. you understand that it's it's that person in charge that you're supporting right and you know when you say something and you know when you don't um but also came in our relationship is that I would tell him exactly what I thought, even if he didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And we came from that kind of a background. And that's what he wanted, and that's what he respected. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the ways in which the, the sort of paramilitary and law enforcement um, understanding of how we worked for the good of the mission, I think was a natural fit. So I, it, it was a natural fit for me to go into a can of the ordinary with him as the bishop with that understanding and relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention that he's got a wonderful sense of humor and our our stories and jokes and all that car time is probably some of the most memorable I have of mm-hmm. our time together. And so, um, yeah, I think there was an instant kinship mm-hmm. because of that background. I told him I was coming to see you today, and he said, why are you going to go see him? He doesn't even speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's a um, well, Spanish was my first language, and I use it here a lot, and it comes in handy. Um, but there's a, an old an old sort of story. That I think you need to go back and ask him why he calls me Julio. Oh, gosh. Because there's a story there. I'm he, sure there is. He refers to me as Julio. Yeah. Um, and and the, the long and the short of it is is that when I was a police officer for this community in Virginia, the mayor could never quite get my name right. <laughs> so every time he saw me, he'd say, hey, Julio. And I'd say, um, mayor, it's Jose. So how's the family, Julio? <laughs> so for all the time there, he called me Julio. So I told that story to Bishop Ed. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, he's calling he's me Julio. He's calling me Julio. 
Yeah, so that's kind of where that comes from. That's hilarious. But he'll joke when I when I say something in Spanish. He goes, "What are you saying? What are you speaking?" <laughs> um, but he also knows that was his secret weapon too. Yeah, that I could speak Spanish. Can you do an impression of Bishop Ed? Oh, do you have not if I want to live that in your pocket somewhere? I don't. Um, I mean, I have. I have sort of like his mannerisms and stuff mm-hmm. that I used to, and so I used to really be able to know, depending on the look you got, mm-hmm. what Bishop Ed was thinking, mm-hmm. because he has certain facial expressions mm-hmm. or body language that's kind of yeah. good giveaways. Yeah. So there are those that I'd have to kind of spend a little time re- recalling back, but there are mm-hmm. ones that I could tell in a meeting based on what I saw. Yeah. So those are the kinds of ones I mastered. Yeah. So I would often tell people, like staff, well, he does this face in a meeting. Mm-hmm. You should be concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things is that, that, that because of his size and his presence, he is intimidating. Yeah. That he's, he's a gentle giant. Yeah. He's for a sure. sweetheart of a man, mm-hmm. a very loving man. And so, so the facial expressions, and so there were sometimes I'd say to him, when we go to a meeting, um, I'd say, now remember about your face when you're in this meeting <laughs> so that he wouldn't give off a vibe that he really yeah. didn't mean. Yeah. Um, so those are the kind of impressions I had of him, but, but I reserve those for. For non-camera moments. Got you. Okay. That's (laughs) totally fine. I wanted to ask you, because I've always been interested a little bit in law enforcement, and I almost actually joined the police academy when I moved home. Really? I was kind of like one foot in discerning priesthood, one foot like military police. And um, so anyways, I've had family in military and really close friends in police. But what – I know why I'm drawn to it, but what what do you think like your – your professional background in law enforcement has like informed your career in the priesthood and now as a bishop. Um, well, it's funny because I get asked a lot about how is that similar. People say it seemed to be a drastic sort of change mm-hmm. in career vocation, and actually, I've said to people, it's a lot more similar than you think. Mm-hmm. And so I've said to people, you know, if you kind of go down the whole thing, that both are vocations; they're not jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both. Um, whether you're a priest or a bishop or a police officer, people have expectations of you that are higher than their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looked at more closely in your behavior. Um, the pressure is always seems to be a lot higher. In a room, you're always that person. Mm-hmm. With a collar, without a collar, with a uniform, without a uniform, you're always seen as that person. Um, both require you to go from one moment, you're a disciplinarian, to the next part, now you're a pastor, to you know, um, a counselor, to yep. a therapist. So you're you're constantly shifting, and mm-hmm. nothing's ever predictable. Um, and and sadly, the truth of the matter is, both of them are ones that do cause um, marital struggles. Um, there is alcohol or substance abuse that is common in both. So there's a lot of dangerous similarities as well as a mm-hmm. lot of sort of the day to day. But I think what it's really informed me about is the fact it's about people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've said is, in one of the letters I just wrote to the diocese about immigration was talking about that even as a police officer in the midst of enforcing law, I never lost the fact that they were human beings Mm. and that even those that I took to jail, I respected their dignity, Mm -hmm. that they were a creation of God. And so holding somebody accountable for something they've done, taking somebody to jail and loving them are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've said repeatedly that I think was the natural and the thing that it was with being with people in the most challenging of times and the most sacred of times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that's really informed my vocation as a priest. It's being with people and understanding that they're both ultimately about people, the mm-hmm. care, the love, and the protection of people. 
And so that's why sometimes I bristle when people kind of make the difference between police and those that are advocating for human rights. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. And, and so one of the things that I've always said is that at the heart of all we do, it's the respect and the dignity of every mm -hmm. human being. And so if anything, I think it's allowed me to be much stronger in understanding people. Yeah. Because again, as a law enforcement officer and as an ordained person, you tend to be with people at their worst. Yep, I was about to say that. As well yep. as their best. And so in that comes tremendous insight and learning mm -hmm. and challenge. Mm -hmm. It does challenge your faith. Mm -hmm. You know, as a law enforcement officer, when you're involved in a situation, you're saying, how can somebody be this heinous or evil? Right. How can somebody do this? Mm -hmm. um, and you do that sometimes in your ministry. You see sometimes the church in action, and you go, how can this be the church? Mm -hmm. How can people respond like that and they call themselves part of the church? Mm -hmm. So there's also that side too, the the complexity of people as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as we're in the people business, it's never going to be easy. Right. But it sure as heck is absolutely um, invigorating and, and, and joyous. Mm -hmm. and, and if I wasn't in the people business, I'd probably be miserable because mm -hmm. I think that's the beauty of what it is. It's about relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I think that's really unique and cool about you is your um, joint, like, fusion of ethnicity, right? <laughs> like, you're I'm Irish I'm, and I'm Cuban. Cultural diversity. Cult in yeah, like, you're like yeah. embodied cultural diversity. Um, so, you're Irish and Cuban, right? Those are, yeah. That's your backgrounds, your family. Yeah. Um, um, as I said, um, there's a conference that's held every other year called Nuevo Amancer mm -hmm. that deals with um, Latino Hispanic ministry in the church. And I was the opening speaker this past year for it. Um, and I got up and I said, you know, I introduced myself and I said, I'm Jose McLaughlin. Uh, I said, I'm Jose Antonio McLaughlin. I'm the bishop of the Diocese of Western North Carolina. My mother's a refugee from Cuba. My father was born and raised in the Bronx. And I was born in Puerto Rico, raised in Florida, and my first language was Spanish. I am what you call your typical American. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's been great. Spanish was my first language. I lived in two cultures. Mm -hmm. My great-grandfather on my father's side came from Ireland. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a New York City cop for 32 years. Um, and then my mom left Cuba in 61. So it's been wonderful because the fact I've had a foot in both places and I still have the language. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more importantly what it represents for people, I think for the church, because I'm the first Latino elected bishop in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's helped people understand is we talk about the issues of immigration, we talk about what it looks like and what America looks like. This gives people a chance to say it's not what we think. And mm -hmm. the reality is, is that's the beauty of who we are. Yeah. And so um, it's been really a blessing personally, not always been, teased a lot when I was younger in some respects. True. Um, and having my mother from Cuba, there were times that my mom was called a communist. Mm -hmm. You know, and get back on the boat. Right. Although she didn't come by boat. <laughs> and she came from a very good family mm -hmm. of professionals. So if anything, it's given the opportunity not only to understand and really work hard to bridge the gap in our community here, but also to just kind of shed any sort of fears or mm -hmm. misunderstanding. And I think it's also a model of the fact that this is what, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, living in Miami, for instance, it wasn't uncommon to have, you know, a Carlos Johnson. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just who we are. And right now in North Carolina, we're one of those states that's projected to be one of the largest segments of Latino Hispanic population within 30 years. Mm. We've grown tremendously. And so 
um, the reality is, is why the, while the Latino Hispanic community is going to grow by 142%, the Anglo community is going to grow by maybe 32. Right. And so it's, if anything, it's been an opportunity to have people understand what it means Mm -hmm. and that just because they speak Spanish doesn't mean we all eat the same food or, right. Um, so it's been a blessing actually. Yeah. I was say what an asset you are. Yeah. Um, you know, hose head, hoser, (laughs) Julio, Julio, (laughs) (laughs) It's actually been it's actually been a blessing, and so it's it's been great in ministry, and mm-hmm. so we have a lot of um, Spanish speaking ministries here, and we've got like six congregations that worship in Spanish on Sundays. That's great. And so that's been a real blessing to walk into communities, especially in the midst of some fear, mm-hmm. because we've had, especially in this area, a lot of roundups. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been helpful that I can come into those communities and mm-hmm. really speak about the faith community and how we're there for them. Wow. Um, but I do believe that this is the future, and my son is bilingual. Mm-hmm. He's minored in Spanish at Oklahoma State. My daughter is going to be minoring in Spanish. I think the reality is is that um, we have to understand the world's much bigger and mm-hmm. and and not be threatened by it. Mm-hmm. So if anything, maybe I'm just sort of a visual reminder of that fact. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And we're missing you in Oklahoma for that. We have a huge Hispanic Latino population too, and tons of Oklahoma new ministries is one of those happening. It's also slated, yeah, because of what's come up from the border. When you look back to like the '90s, all of it was along the border states, mm-hmm. and Oklahoma, Kansas was some of the first to get the movement because they're looking, quite honestly, cheaper places to live mm-hmm. and different opportunities. And that's what's happening in North Carolina is that more and more are coming up. And if you look at a census map now, mm-hmm. throughout the entire country, you see. Latino and Hispanic populations yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, because they're moving for better opportunity, just mm-hmm. like we do. Yeah. Affordable housing, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But yeah, Oklahoma is actually one of the first that kind of experienced the boom as they were moving away from the border states. Right. Um, and I think Oklahoma is also one of those that's going to be probably up real up there in numbers mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and you can just ask Bishop Ed about his Spanish. I'll quiz I, him. I, I try to work on it with him. Yeah. I can just see him begrudgingly saying, hola. <laughs> Actually, he's pretty good. Actually, pretty good. I is told he? him he just has to keep practicing. Yeah. He did an immersion program. Um, like he hangs out in Uruguay, and he's going to, like, Panama. and He actually understands a lot Ecuador more. Ecuador soon. Yeah, he actually understands a lot more, I think. Yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, that's kind of – so I always used to prep him before he'd go to Santa Maria mm-hmm. or something to yeah. kind of walk through the Eucharist so he oh, can say good. some words yeah. and get comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got it. He's got it. <laughs> Last question I have for you. Sure. Um, what are some cool projects you're working on in in your new diocesan home? Oh, wow. what, what are you excited about here? There's a lot I'm excited about. Um, I think we've um, one of the things we've definitely done here is we put a whole new emphasis in youth and young adults. Mm. The majority of the budgets since I've been here, um, all the majority of increases have all been in the area of youth and young adult ministry, on our college campuses, hiring a full time youth missioner, um, starting our Episcopal Service Corps. For people who come right out of college and spend a year of service here in the diocese, um, we've just been putting a lot of emphasis and really reaching out to the younger generation, mm-hmm. the people that we don't often see, um, the people that I used to say when I was a Roman Catholic, you know, the people who come back for fire insurance. <laughs> you know, they take off after school and then they get married and mm-hmm. then they have a baby and we got to baptize the baby mm-hmm. and then we see him again. Right. Um, and so if anything, the real emphasis we've put on reimagining our college ministries making it not just about the college but about the community as a whole Mm -hmm. and how to reach young people Um, doing things like for instance creating opportunities where we're doing hiking programs where we're doing um, 
meditating and the Eucharist and study of scripture mm. while hiking. Love it. With young adults, um, finding new ways to engage them in the fact that we're in Western North Carolina with hiking and mountain biking and rafting. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing very much more intentional sort of ministries that is outside mm -hmm. that really resonates with the millennials. Um, so that emphasis has been really great. We're putting a much bigger emphasis now on our Latino ministries. We've got a plan now that we're going to start to really go the next step to really accelerate the work we're doing with our Latino communities and focusing more on building community and not Spanish-speaking services. Mm -hmm. So we have an intentional plan, especially about one segment of our diocese where we really see the concentration, where we're being intentional about um, forming community. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I've been very intentional in the recent clergy we've brought in is that I've been bringing in more bilingual clergy. Mm. Um, so we're not focusing on Spanish-speaking services. We're focusing on building community. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I'd probably say the other is that, I mean, there's so many I could talk about, but um, we're, we're finally reimagining our diaconate program here, and we are going to a bivocational priesthood program, and we start our first class in January Nice that we're excited about. Um, and then we're also re-envisioning how we train lay leaders. Mm. So we've, we've started a vestry academy where it's actually a weekend, and we're actually, myself, our CFO, Can the Ordinary, others, and we actually spend a whole weekend with vestries, not just a day, and especially the smaller congregations to really empower them mm -hmm. about leadership. So not only the, the, the sort of practical stuff, but to really claim their authority and to vision and talk mm -hmm. about what does visioning look like. And so during that weekend, we actually spend time and have the individual vestries vision mm -hmm. while we mentor them That's so awesome. they can start dreaming about what's yeah. next. So, so stuff like that is kind of ever evolving and the kind of stuff that we really get excited about and so right now we're going to continue to work on knowing who our neighbor is mm -hmm. um, understanding um, who we serve and, and for instance um, our Cherokee brothers and sisters we're partnering with our Lutheran brothers and the bishop mm -hmm. and I the Lutheran bishop and I are formulating a plan mm -hmm. that we'll do together with the Cherokee nation mm -hmm. um, so really it's about however we're getting outside Everything we're kind of doing is about taking the church out and mm -hmm. not so worried about the institution. Right. And so um, I'm working hard to kind of dismantle structure mm -hmm. and putting more of the resources on what we're doing outside. Yeah. And so those are the kinds of kind of areas that we're, we're working on and really getting excited about. That sounds, sounds super Just awesome. Just a few. <laughs> Just a couple. Just a few, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for taking the time, oh, Bishop my Jose. My pleasure. And Thank we're you. so fired up for you to be in our neck of the woods again in, in October. Well, I, uh, I hope that what I have to say and um, bring is of some um, joy and some challenge. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is uh, I have my instructions that um, Bishop Bettis jokingly said, this is not my going away party. It's not a funeral. Um, we still have mission and ministry to do. And mm -hmm. so um, I will be challenging the diocese about the future. Um, and the truth of the matter, though, is it'll be bittersweet. Mm -hmm. because it's kind of a full circle for me. I yeah. started this with Bishop Ed and right. now I come back. So I'm extremely honored to be the one mm -hmm. to come back and be the last speaker for this convention while he's there. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very um, aware of the fact that, that we do service and I do service to my friend Ed by making sure that, that it's still about ministry. Right. And it's still about the work to be done. Mm -hmm. And to, to not only thank people and thank him, but the reality is to remind us that there's still work to be yeah. done. Yeah. So hopefully that's what I bring. Cool. And what we walk away from. So I'm looking forward to seeing all the old friends in Oklahoma. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan Newsletter at our website, epiok.org newsletter. And follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week, and peace be with you.